Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, Dice's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much more. Our next guest is Shastri Duvasula, who's the CIO of TIA, the huge provider of financial services for those in academia, government, medicine, and other fields. It is more than a trillion dollars under management. As you can imagine, the tech infrastructure supporting all of that is quite vast, and Shastri has an enormous job. In addition, he's also guiding the organization through a digital transformation that includes generative AI and other cutting-edge technologies. Let's listen in as he describes what it takes to grow into and thrive in a senior technology role and the big changes he's helping shepherd at TIA. And I wanted to get into, I mean, TIA is is, is such an old and venerated, I mean, old is, is maybe a little bit of a pejorative, but it's a very venerated organization that's been around for a very long time. And from what, I've been told you're sort of embarking on sort of this this wholesale digital revolution that involves AI and and all this other stuff. And so I, I, I was curious, I want to kind of delve into a number of topics, but to just kind of start off, um, what has your journey to the CIO role at TIA been like? And I mean, how did you get here? And then I guess the one of the things I'm asking too is are there so many people at Dice who are interested? So many of our audience is interested in how one becomes a CIO. So I'm just curious about your experience, how you ended up in this position, and kind of how that translates into people who might also be interested in becoming a CIO someday. Yeah, thank you, Nick. First of all, uh, pleasure being here uh, with your audience. So. Um, as you said, you know, TIA is a 100-plus-year-old firm, and uh, I lead uh, the Global Technology and Client Services Organization, which is a privilege uh, because we were a mission-driven company that was founded in 1918. Um, so to answer your question, I've only worked for 100-plus-year-old companies. Uh, there's only one company that I actually worked at that is not 100 years old yet, which is McKinsey & Company, which is approaching the 100. Uh, it will. Yeah, it'll hit that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've worked for a 175-plus-year payments company, uh, 155-plus risk management insurance broker. So it's actually fun to do technology roles and digital transformation, data and analytics in a, in a firm of heritage because there's a lot of things that you can kind of work with. There's a lot of different problem uh, statements uh, that one, one could work with in technology. So... Um, so my career started as a software engineer um, in consulting, and I was supporting various clients, dominantly financial services. So that's kind of where I started. Uh, and obviously, you know, I, I had my different stints across uh, different firms. But uh, um, when I took my first uh, leadership role where this was not like like build my own technology team or Scrum. We didn't even have Agile back then. So I'm going to date myself. There was no Scrum <laughs> yet. It was all waterfall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. So we were still kind of in the waterfall days, let's just say. But we were, that was so not the early days of building the team. But when I got to like a level of middle management, let's just say, where I was leading the teams and um, I guess the CIO, CTO type of responsibility was 
in the line of sight at a distance, but a line of sight. So I had a great mentor actually who gave me this fabulous advice, which is, uh, you know, um, I vividly remember the, remember the conversation. This is like the three piece, you know, we always talk about platforms, process and people. And, and the advice was, he said, look, once you get into leadership roles, it's all going to be people, people, people. Uh, so the platforms you're going to build now that you're very much vested in, you're going to end up decommissioning these platforms and you're going to be building new platforms. The processes that you're instituting or the processes that you're leading or living with today, they're going to get re-engineered. But once you start investing in people, they grow with you, you grow with them. So, so that was like, if, I guess, my eye-opening, uh, you know, mentoring advice that I got. So that really got me started on the journey. And um, so now that I do a lot of mentoring myself uh, to, you know, a lot of mentees across the industry, I've got my own three L's <laughs> that go with the three P's. Uh, um, thanks to my consulting days, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. my three L's are um, learn, listen, and lead authentically. And I, I feel very passionate about these three. So it's almost like, you know, the advice I took from my own mentor back in the day to kind of echo the concept of like platforms getting replatformed and skills getting reskilled and processes getting re-engineered. We, especially in a CIO, CTO type role, you're constantly learning and relearning and unlearning. So to me, learning is probably the most important attribute. And on the side of people leadership, listening, which is an underrated skill, unfortunately, on the communication side, I think that's an important aspect. And then leading authentically and being, you know, very comfortable in your own skin and who you are, you know, which was not, frankly, if you look back like 20 years ago, that was not easily recommended. But now we live in a world where, you know, we've democratized the personas quite a bit that everybody can be themselves. Uh, and, and that's, I think, a pretty powerful way to lead and, and aspire to be a CIO. So anyways, I've given you a response on what it took, <laughs> you know, to get to the CIO. But I'm, I, I really enjoy the role and especially the people leadership aspect of it. It, it seems like what you're doing in terms of the, the digital transformation, um, there's so many different elements that obviously go into that. You've got an AI arm that's going on. You've got kind of other technological aspects that you're seeking to update. And so it seems that to your point, what you're saying about empathy and letting people be themselves and focusing on people, people, people is all incredibly key. Um, I heard that as as part of that, as part of kind of empowering people under you, you're doing something called mini CIOs, mini CTOs. Do I have that right? Is it how, how does how does that work? Because I found that just just hearing that concept, um, I found was really fascinating. I kind of wanted to dig into it a little bit and see kind of what that actually means. Yeah. So the so kind of picking on the train of thought I was on, and I will I will answer the question. So obviously, I talked about the. People, 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 listen, learn, um, and and uh, lead with authenticity. I think for CIOs or CTOs to be successful because it's a portable role, uh, the most important thing is to embed yourself in the business, in the domain, in the company, and in, in its culture, and um, being a business leader more than a technology leader. And that's a pretty hard shift, but I, I actually think that post-pandemic, post-digital transformation, on the heels of the generative AI, getting ready to disrupt the world and the next 
whatever revolution we're going to go through, I feel like this is the best time for uh, technology leaders to take charge, to have a voice, to own the table, to lead, uh, and and to be a business leader more than a technology leader. So, uh, and, and that's a great opportunity. And I actually, you see more and more of that in executive committees and C-suites, having that level of prominence for this role, as well as in the boards, corporate boards, as I look across, including our own board. So... With that, um, we've instituted an operating model where we have basically three primary businesses in TIA. One is our mothership, which is our core retirement business, where we provide retirement solutions and services to higher ed, uh, which was the original genesis. But we support healthcare, we support nonprofits, we support K through 12. So that's like one primary business. Uh, and the second business is our asset management, where we manage north of $1.2 trillion through our Nuveen asset management arm with different types of institutions that we work with, different asset classes, et cetera. And then the third is wealth management, which is more of a B2B2C. So we've got a B2B, uh, which, it, which in itself includes three primary customers, which is our plan sponsors that are the institutions that we're working with, their participants, which are our participants. And then plan consultants that actually work with us to work with the plan sponsors. Wealth management, which is a B2B2C, and asset management, which is a B2B, and B2B2C as well. So if you think about this, you know, you've got to have technology leaders that are empowered within the respective domains of these businesses, working with the CEOs of uh, asset management, wealth management, and retirement services that can bring the full uh, breadth uh, and landscape of technology and digital uh, innovation for that business uh, that are equally capable of working across. So we have shared services. So, so that brings me to the operating model, which is I've got CIOs or CTOs, um, you know, whichever flavor you want to apply to that role, <laughs> head of technology for a specific business that are responsible to be sitting at that executive team's uh, leadership table and working across all the mini businesses and subsidiaries of that primary business um, that own the technology transformation, that own the digital transformation, that own the data analytics transformation, AI transformation, et cetera. But then they work with shared services. So I have shared services for data and AI as an example. So I have a chief, chief data and AI officer, information security officer, head of infrastructure and cloud, uh, head of partnerships. So as I look across these main shared services, and then we have a massive tech transformation initiative that's happening across seven layers of our architecture. So I have a chief architect and a head of transformation uh, who's responsible for kind of like leapfrogging our technology, going back to my 100-year-old comment. So, so the CIOs work with the uh, shared services and bring the best of uh, what we can come up with, but in a very business-centric manner and that's why the operating model has verticals and horizontals it sounds like that's all i mean it sounds like a that's an incredible amount of complexity and b that sounds like also a good way by making people owners that handle that complexity because otherwise i mean i'm trying to envision sort of the the verticals and so on and it gets it gets very um complicated really quickly in terms of yeah I mean, because it's, it's, if, I, if you don't mind me interjecting yeah, Nick, i think yeah it, you made an important point i think the key word is accountability right when you have a large company it's very hard to actually distill accountability, right? So, so when I have a CEO of asset management, I want to make sure that Jose Minaya as a CEO of asset management feels that there is one person that is accountable 
for all things technology transformation and digital transformation of that specific business unit and how that gets done. I mean, obviously, you need to have like a Swiss Army type leader, obviously, uh, you know, to, to lead that. But if you don't have the accountability, it's pretty hard in these large companies, right? Like now you're chasing the process and the matrix uh, with layers and layers of people, right? So that's what we're trying to avoid here. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. You were mentioning um, generative AI and AI transformation, and it seems that, I mean, across every single industry, everyone right now is trying to figure out how to integrate generative AI and machine learning and so on into their current processes. And, you know, and especially since, you know, as we keep coming back to, you know, that's the, the hundred year old company is, is now embracing kind of this newest of the new technologies. How are you approaching that in terms of AI policy and that sort of AI integration? Because it's, that's a big question. Everyone's trying to figure that out right now. I'm just wondering what your approach to it is. Yeah, I mean, generative AI is obviously the the, the theme of the day, uh, right? So, and I think as a as a world, we've gone through many different transformations that were quite invasive um, uh, in into our day to day running of personal lives and professional lives. And actually, you know, I always keep this uh, this little keepsake box on my table uh, here, which has which which is my reminder. You know, going back to my mentor's advice, right? It has like a few things, Nick, and they constantly remind me, like I have the original, like this BlackBerry phone. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you know, when, we, when this thing came or the flip phone, right? I mean, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I have got like the, uh, the original, I guess, iPod. Oh, <laughs> right? So, yeah, it's a collector side. I have a bunch of uh, floppy disks as well. But the reason I keep this and I use this actually as a prop, even in my own you know, internal meetings and town halls, um, is we should have that reminder that this is a big wave, but we have gone through many waves in the past. It's not the first time we as a world are going through a massive technology wave. Pandemic actually itself was a big wave when we were not even given the choice to prepare for it. True. Right. So, but yeah. we all had to jump on it and on a screen like this with a camera and a microphone and then boom, we were in business. So, so I'm an optimist uh, when it comes to technology driven transformation. And, and I think this one is, is any is like everything else that we've gone through, whether the first version of the internet or web 2.0, loosely speaking, social media, um, digital payments, digital banking, and fintech, and now here we are. So I, I think you know there is two ends of the spectrum. There is the conservative side, where we definitely need to make sure that we understand all the risks and uh, the implications, the biases, the hallucinations, the ethics, the cybersecurity concerns that has to be catered to. And then there is the other side where, well, this is this is like the best thing that happened in democratizing AI. Uh, and, you know, how do we disrupt our own businesses? How do we compete in a different way? How do we enrich the experiences that we have for our clients and our colleagues? Uh, and how do we really de- redefine and reimagine, like in our case, TIA, like 2.0? So it's, 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 a, it's a lot of science on both sides. There's a lot of art. So we've taken, uh, on our side, we've taken a three-step process. So step one is making sure that we put some guardrails uh, and with, with some policy. So as an example, we have implemented, we are one of the very few financial services firms that have a codified responsible AI policy now. So we have a responsible AI policy that is fully vetted. This is let's just say it's one Obviously, the space is obviously evolving, and but we have our we have our codified version, and that is serving as the guiding document. 
and we're implementing essentially policy as a code type components, whether it's cybersecurity or data and AI and privacy, et cetera, through the policy that are in, getting implemented in, a, in the various parts of our, our technology ecosystem. So, and then we've obviously approached the whole, should we have colleagues, you know, accessing the, 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 the world of all these different uh, generative AI solutions that are available on the public internet from corporate phones and corporate devices, corporate laptops. We've taken a conservative stance there because this is an area where you need to first learn and observe and iterate and then go all in. So, so that's, um, but having said that, our phase one is really accessing some of these uh, through our secure environment. Uh, so we have a client tech labs that we built, which has provided these secure environments essentially for our colleagues. And it's a funnel. So you bring in a bunch of ideas, you start playing with them, and then some some of those really get into real products for prototypes, et cetera, and then you get into production. So, so we've launched a few productionized use cases through that funnel uh, as part of the phase one. Uh, one of them is actually a search that we've enabled now on our website itself or on our mobile app. So when you go to ti.org, the, in the, if we go to the search, you know, you can search for information, uh, like you can say, well, you know, what's a, uh, what's an IRA or, you know, what's a rollover, uh, you know, what's the difference between traditional and Roth IRA? So those type of questions, and you could see actually now, if, if your audience is going to the website and searching it, you'll see traditional search results. And then there's a tab right next to it that says AI search results. And you can clearly see the difference the generative AI solutions actually bring. And we've been able to do that by using the publicly available LLMs that we have partnerships with, partnerships with in a secure way on publicly available data that we have within our own uh, information and content. And, and we've trained the model. So that's like phase one. And we've done something similar inside as well for marketers for uh, legal analysts, for our phishing campaigns. We've been running our phishing campaign now on, on a generative AI solution. Oh, wow. So it's pretty creative, by the way. Yeah, yeah that sounds <laughs> really nice. Wow. Huh. You're, it's, you're way ahead of a lot of people on that. It's very it's creative, actually. You know, it's, it's funny when I got the call from my CHR, I was saying, dude, I got a HR violation email. <laughs> and it's actually a phishing email with a link. Smart. So oh, wow. it's pretty creative. So, so you, But it's easy to implement. So that's phase one. Phase two is really when you take your the, the models that are available, like the llamas of the world that are open source, and then actually implement it within your infrastructure, right? And then that way you can fully control it. You got your own controls, whether it's your cloud or on-prem, and then you start feeding more data that you are getting comfortable with. So that's kind of where we are now. So we are actually we're doing some more pilots and beta testing of some of these solutions where we're feeding data, uh, but within our own firewalls, right? So, and then of course, the third phase is really where I think it's going to be pretty hard in the near term, which is you create your own model and like you're providing that as a service. And obviously we all know the the uh, limitations on compute right now and the unavailability of the chips, right? So I think for now, uh, you know, I would say at TIA, we're, we're definitely... Uh, progressing. Uh, we are conservative where we should be. We have promoted uh, a secure innovation environment for our colleagues. We are partnering with our clients through our client tech labs. Uh, we are actively, you know, funneling some ideas through the uh, through the innovation and product development funnel. It's, it seems like you're ahead of the game in the sense of 
like you read about companies, even large companies like Google, where they implement this and they allow people internally to use these tools and then belatedly realize that there's a security aspect to it or they don't want, you know, their internal data set fed upon by it. Um, but it seems like you got very proactive about it from the start. Like your phase one seems very regimented. Your phase two seems very regimented. So that's, that's I mean, I find that very impressive just because it seems that you, there's, people got so excited about AI that there was sort of this, this, this fire aim impulse and it seems like you aimed before you started to to launch this so that's um i congrats i mean that's that seems like it's it's been a good flow through for you so far yeah thanks nick i mean obviously i don't think anybody should declare victory on this because i think as we speak things are changing right so um i do think that this is where i go back to my previous comments uh which is you know, with our data and AI officer and head of head of our client tech labs and head of our technology risk and transformation. I mean, this is where I think understanding the domain is so critical, right? Because, because regulations are going to emerge, policies are going to emerge. We actually want to be part of that process. We want to be able to serve, you know, our insights to, you know, policymakers as we put policies in this place, as an example. We want, obviously, we have a global firm that we need to run, especially on asset management. So there's a range of global regulations that are going to come at us, right? So I think, so yes, we should get fascinated by the potential of this technology, uh, but we also have to make sure that you're not just focused on technology and only technology, in this case, generative AI, uh, because we have been at AI for a long time, right? So for, for example, traditional machine learning platforms that we have, everybody who's in financial services, generally speaking, has a model risk management, a model governance process, and a data governance process. They may have a data officer. So I think some of those basics are so critical. And if you don't have them, this is the time because you can't do the AI's next generation with, like it's like that um, Amtrak example that we read on whether Wall Street Journal or New York Times, you know, like you got like brand new trains, but the, tr the tracks are old oh. tracks. Yeah, so you haven't yeah. even you can't even test the trains on these tracks. <laughs> so you yeah. gotta build new tracks, right? So so the data tracks have to be really solid, uh, you know, to really get to the so if the data tracks are poor even for our current models, uh, that's gonna be pretty hard to actually take this uh, leap of faith into the next generation of AI. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty amazing. Then uh, just in general, I mean it just seems that is as Things progress. I mean, do you see where you are right now? I mean, the whole digital transformation of the organization. I mean, do you see it as still in early days? Do you see it as you've you've kind of carried things forward to a to a more mature point? And then where what what interests you in terms of going into the future beyond AI? Like what kind of techs interest you as a CIO and and what do you want to kind of evolve the org to in that sense? I, we are in the middle of it, right? So, um, you know, I joined last year on the Valentine's Day uh, with lots of love for TIA. So we are in the, I'm in the middle of it uh, with my leadership team. You know, our executive committee um, is also fairly new. Uh, you know, different leaders were brought in both inside as well as from outside. So I think we're in the middle of an impactful journey in a company that stood for mission, that stands for mission, right? So I think... Digital transformation has different pockets that we need to impact, right? So there are some pockets where I feel pretty good in terms of our ability to make progress and, and focus, but there are, there are pockets where the impact has to be really felt by our participants, right? And that's going to take a long time because, you know, you think about retirement as an industry, how often do you, do you or I, you know, wake up in the morning and think about retirement, right? 
we think about banking, we think about payments, we think about other other things, we think about retail, we think about fashion, we think about healthcare more often than we think about retirement, right? So, and that's, uh, you know, that, so you've got a little bit of attention from our participants. And when you have it, how do you bank it to give the best experience? And that is a very precise uh, impact we need to have on client experience. So we've chosen a few journeys that we want to really go all in, but that's work in progress. So I think, so there are things that we feel pretty good in terms of making the impact. Um, there are things that obviously will, will, will take a while, but that's the beauty of, uh, you know, working for this type of a transformation in a, in a century old firm. Cool. Great. Thank you so much. That was that was that was a wonderful interview. Um, and thank you for delving into AI and and all the the permutations and things and the guardrails and and everything else that you've put in place. Because I think that's for our audience. I think that's going to be really illuminating. So no, thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. And you know, I'll just close with one thing. Right. If you are a CIO or a CTO or you want to be a CIO or CTO, I would put a big plus next to that title at this point because it's not a title. It's more a responsibility at this point. Right. So. I think technology is the future of any business. And I think every board and every C-suite recognizes that. So don't assume that you're going to have to stay in the lane to be successful and impactful. I think this is the time to really branch out, learn the business, you know, start with the industry and then come up with ideas and make your voice heard because this is the best time to be a technology leader in any business, hands down. I think everyone who aspires to be a tech leader is going to take a lot of heart in that because I think that's how a lot of people ideate the role. So that's, I think that's going to be really encouraging for people to hear. Yeah. And that's it, folks. If you're a tech professional who's interested in climbing the ladder into a senior management position, I hope you learned something from that discussion. Here are some other quick takeaways for you. First, if you want to move into a managerial role, much less take the CIO or CTO seat, you have to focus on people. When you're running an organization's tech, you're going to be building and decommissioning platforms and instituting and unwinding processes. There's going to be constant re-engineering. If you want to get through all of that smoothly, you need to invest in people and help them grow so that they'll help you and your organization grow in turn. Second, the higher up you climb in terms of your roles, the more you need to embed yourself in the core business. You need to understand a business's domain, its culture, and its problems. Being a technology leader also means often being a business leader. That's a pretty hard shift for some tech professionals, but if you want to make a real difference, you have to take charge and become another voice at the table. Third, if you're helping shape your company's AI policy, it always pays to think safety first. Start by thinking about the guardrails that need to be put in place and the ways you need to lock down your company's data. Once you've thought all of that through, you can put AI into production in a safe way. We covered a whole lot of other topics during the episode, of course, so give it a re-listen if there was something you missed. We'll see you next time, and remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technology professionals, the best place to grow your tech career.